three, two, one. Welcome to another Stoned Apes podcast. I would say it's the three motherfuckers, but it's not. It's two motherfuckers today, and the oddball motherfucker is here. But look, I think this is going to be a real treat for the audience, in my opinion. Say hello to Danny. What a do, nephews. All right, so you guys got a glimpse a couple of weeks ago on, I think it was show number five? Yeah. Show number five was your first visit in. So we gave a little background on like me and Danny and our history. We've been we've been friends since 2009. Uh, I think that's correct. Yeah, 2009. Yeah, we've been through lots of ups and downs together, all kinds of shit, and like, but we are two interesting characters. <laughs> awesome stories behind. And us. you motherfuckers, <laughs> you're gonna learn we, today. <laughs> we have no filter today. <laughs> there is no one here to say shh, don't say that, or to give me weird looks. In fact, Danny usually amplifies everything, and then it just starts to snowball from there. So It's going, going to go downhill quick. I'm sorry. Good luck, motherfuckers. <laughs> if you're sensitive, if you have small kids, if you don't like hearing super perverted shit, or if most things offend you, you should probably run the fuck away. 100%. Because this is going to be a podcast. If you can define physesis, I'm it. <laughs> Lots right. of awkward boner comments, and it's just going to go hey, downhill. It's like spermy nipple sauce. You know, right. you just do what you can do. Right. Yeah? Oh, speaking of which, so we were at a restaurant the other day, right? And Ethan's like, I wonder what my Indian name would be. And, uh, Cheap I, brown eye. And so I was like, oh, you know, I come from the Smackahoe tribe, right? You know, all jokes. Sukumakaki. Yeah. And so I said, you should you should hear what Danny orders at the uh, at the restaurant. And he goes, what, do you, what what does Danny order? And I said, well, I can't say it as good as Danny. I said, coming on some young guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he goes, what? And I said, coming on some guy. And she goes, oh, my God. He's like, what the fuck are you saying? And I was like, that's what I want to order. And he's like, no. And I was like, come of some young, dumb guy. Yeah. And I was like, but Danny will do this at a restaurant. <laughs> and he'll ask the woman at the restaurant. She'll be like, what do you want? And be like, come and show the guy. And she'll be like, what? I don't think we have it here. And he's like, no, I'm pretty sure you do. Would you like it? <laughs> Would you like some? <laughs> oh, yeah. So this, so he's like, what the fuck is wrong with Danny? And I was like, everything is wrong with Danny. 100%. Absolutely 100%. Oh, my gosh. So then I told him the story. So I let him know. I said, look. This is the real thing. I said, the two worst things that I've ever done to humans has happened to Danny and my buddy Pat. All right? And so I explained both stories. And I'll do this for the audience because you guys are going to enjoy this. So when you're in the military, especially in the 90s when I was in the military, um, making gay jokes or <laughs> acting like you're gay or inappropriate gay comments or homosexual comments. I don't want to offend anyone out there. I'm not homophobic by any means. Um, but... They, uh, we would always joke like that, and that would be a thing with us. And then, the, and then the joke was, how real could you say it, right? Because then you have to make it believable. It's like, oh, hey, buddy, you're looking good today, you know. But I got to make you believe that, right? So, Danny is in a restaurant, and he has me on speakerphone because he's a dumbass. One hundred percent. No one puts anyone like me on a speakerphone ever. And he puts me on a speakerphone, and I had no clue. And then he said something about, I think you said, oh, my butt hurts. Or something like that. Because you've been driving. driving You guys are my back and my ass is killing me, man. And I was like, that's because I fucked the shit out of you last night. And And there's like four families (laughs) having dinner surrounded by me, and they all just like stop and look at me. And I'm like, oh, my God. I shouldn't have went so deep, bro. Oh, you went 
balls deep. Pun, pun intended. You but were holy like, shit. Bro. As soon as I said it, you were like dead silent. And then you go, oh. are you fucking kidding me? And I was like, what? And then you told me. And I was like, oh my god, that is hilarious. And you have been working on this. This happened, what, seven or eight years ago? It's been a minute. You've been trying to get me back for at least that long. It's been a minute. You almost got me the other day. Yeah, I did. I was sending that speech to text and you put bitch at the end. That was phenomenal. Thank god speech to text sucks. I appreciate you, Google. So this old guy, he's he's using speech to text to text this rando from Facebook Marketplace to buy something. <laughs> and I'm watching him do this. And I'm watching his thumb slide to the send button, and I scream, bitch, as loud as I can, and he hits send. And the look on his face was fucking priceless. I did not catch it, though. I was very disappointed. But I think you, you were, were think so close. That would have been phenomenal. So close. So, my best story on this is actually my buddy Pat. I get out of the military. Pat's my best friend when I'm in the Army, uh, especially at the end. I had another best friend earlier in the period named Nick, but Pat ended up being my best friend toward the end of my time in service. And uh, Pat moved back to uh, Ohio, and he was living at a couple of different locations, as we all do when you first get out. You know, you're not necessarily stable yet, so you're tra- you're transitioning between spaces. Try you figure it out, right? Um, and uh, so I'm calling him, and I called him, and, and and we had this thing going on at the time where I was just kind of playing around, joking, and it's like I'd leave him voice messages, but they were gay, mm-hmm. and it would be like as homosexual as I could get, right? I've gotten those, and it, yeah, you've gotten them, <laughs> so you know the type. So, you know, I call him, and I get his voicemail, and so I leave this really long, drawn-out message about, my God, I can't believe you didn't call me the other night, I had such a good time, like, oh my God, you were the best ever, and I mean, I just really sell it, right? <laughs> every time I fart, it smells like blood Every <laughs> Everything you can imagine, right? Is graphic, and you know, all of it, all of it. It was a great message. I was proud of it. So he calls me a couple of days later, and he gets on the phone, and he's dead quiet. All I can hear is him breathing. And I'm like, this is fucking weird. You know, what is, what's going on, dude? What are you doing? And he's like, dude. And I go, okay. And he goes, look, if you ever, ever fucking call my parents' house again and leave a message like that on their voicemail, he's like, I will fucking kill you. So, no, it gets better. This is better. That's not the best part. The best part is two things. One, he is recently divorced. He just got divorced. So his parents know that he's out of a a, a heterosexual relationship and now possibly gay. Okay? In a homosexual relationship. And then his dad is like a deacon or a pastor. Oh, no. And his mom is super pseudo-religious. And they already have a bad relationship because he's not religious at all. I can see him, like, walking the door he, and, like, sprinkling holy yeah, water on him. He's like, like yeah, he's like the, the uh, what do you call the kid, that, that uh, the prodigal son. Yeah. He's the prodigal son, right? You just heard him to the And so he walks child. into his parents' house, and they have, like, an intervention for him. Oh, my God. It's like, come sit on the couch. Is there anything that you want to tell us? <laughs> We're still going to love you, but God is going to wash you of your sins, and you're not going to burn in hell. Oh, my like, God. Like, he gets the two-hour speech over this fucking voicemail, right? He is so mad. I've never heard him so mad in his entire life. Dude, I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> he tells me I am dying. I am just rolling. I was like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> But I'm not. And this fucker is getting madder and madder. And he was like, 
I'm gonna kill you. And I was like, yeah, you're in Ohio. You'll be fine. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Shit happens. You're eight hours away. Over. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> so I'm like, so that to this moment is like my crowning moment of like best things I've ever done to somebody. It was completely on accident. Couldn't have done that better if I tried. It's hilarious. Oh my god, he was so mad. So yeah, that was a that was a funny moment. So you actually got the least of the two. Your yeah. parents wouldn't care. You would have been all right. Your mom and dad. I wouldn't have got the, the holy Bible talk. Your, your dad would have been like, "I knew it, son." <laughs> yeah, fuck I'm you. Glad, Eat a dick. I'm glad you finally. Like, I always out. knew it. <laughs> I knew it. You're definitely a catcher. You bottom bitch. <laughs> <laughs> your dad would 100 do that. Like, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> so old-timey of him. My dad would be like, I'm gay, too. <laughs> it's like, you too? I'd be like, I knew that. I seen that one coming. It all makes sense. We should have talked about that 40 years ago. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> That's I wonder how many viewers we have left. Oh, they're gone. They're gone. They're, oh, there's, 100%. One, there's, there's one rando in the corner going, yeah, keep going. <laughs> I'm gay too, guys. I'm gay don't, too. Don't ah. stop. Don't stop there. <laughs> yeah. Anymore. Look. We're broken. It's fine. So, anyway. So, how's your week been, man? Busy. Busy. Very busy. You know, with the snowstorm, you're practically stuck in stuck in the house. Uh, we had some family from Florida come in. So, they were up visiting, and they got to see, their kids got to see snow for the first time, and took them down the, the sled and mega hill that we have behind my house, but... Just busy, busy, busy with work. Work is full throttle this year. I got big goals. Big goals and yeah, got to make them happen. Work's that life thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. I'm crushing work too right now. It's, it's good. my season. I'll say this is your yeah. crazy time. Yeah, it's 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 been rough last couple of weeks, man. High stress, lots of shit going down. But it's exciting too. I enjoy it. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's, I like the challenge, even though I don't necessarily like the work. I like the result. I like I like the feeling of working hard for something and then accomplishing something from it. Mm-hmm. That reward makes it worth it. It feels good, you know. It feels good to put effort in. But I don't want to live that way, you know. At least you're you're <clears throat> semi guaranteed your reward versus all the work, and I'm competing for the work. Dude, I spend every year wondering if I'm going to have a business at the end of it. Yeah. Trust me, you wouldn't have been me a few num- few hours ago going over numbers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not a guarantee. Not, I mean, that's self-employment though, right? Nothing's a guarantee. I think that's the thing that people miss. It's like, you know, we talked about self-employment a little bit on the podcast. Self-employment's an amazing thing, but it's the hardest fucking thing you'll ever do. Yeah. It is not a nine-to-five job, and it's not like going to a nine-to-five job. And then the weird part is, is people seem to miss the disconnect between the beginning and the end. Like, you know, they see somebody like me where I'm at. And I mean, and you've even said that sometimes, but at least you know. It's like, look, when I'm off, I'm off. I got a lot more flexibility and autonomy than most people do because I'm self-employed. But because I manage my companies well, because I have people in places to run things when I'm not. Like the other day I was sitting here with Sam and I told Sam and I said, hey, you know, we were talking about remote operations and making things work and not having to be present. And um, I told him, I said, you know, right now I have five offices and 31 employees and we're serving hundreds and hundreds of people. And I'm sitting at home having a smoking a joint with you. Like, you know, it's like if you run things right, 
you will have people that take care of it. You know, your mm -hmm. job is to put out the fires. Yep. You know, and make sure the lights stay on and to put the bills down. But your job isn't to be on those front lines. But it takes a long time because at the beginning, I don't care what business you're in, you're on the front lines. It's grind. It's grind. I mean, you know, everybody says, oh, man, I wish I worked your schedule or whatever. And it's like, motherfucker, no, you I don't. put in hundreds of hours a week like, for oh, years to get here. I've heard that so many times. Like, man, you're so flexible. You never work when I see you. I'm like, that's because I have flexibility. But you don't see me when I'm in my computer from, you know, till midnight at night. And I'm back up at 7 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock in the morning oh, doing, doing yeah. it all over again. Well, that's the difference, isn't it? I go to my 9 to 5. Like, if I go to a 9 to 5 and I clock in and I dick off for the day. And let's say I dick off four of my eight hours. And I go home. There's no consequence to me for that. I don't have to do anything more. I got paid to be there for eight hours. As long as I got there for eight hours, regardless of what I did, within reason, as long as the boss approved of it, that's the day, right? I could have spent four hours driving in a car. The problem with being self-employed, though, is your work never goes away. If I take four hours in the middle of my day to go drive in my car, that's four hours I got to put in that night. Because mm -hmm. if I don't, that shit's there tomorrow. Well, like, I have no ability to say no. I have to get shit done. I just have more flexibility to schedule when I do it. Well, the buck always stops at the top. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I go on an actual vacation, I go where I don't have cell phone signal. I mean, every weekend my phone is on. All 100% of my clients have my personal cell phone number. If they have a problem, they call me. It doesn't matter if it's Monday morning at 10 o'clock or it's Sunday night yeah. at 10 o'clock. It, it does not matter. Well, I'm always on the call. That's the same thing I tell my clients. I say, you know, I usually don't go to bed until 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I said, if you text me and I'm up, I'll text you back. I have clients who text me at midnight, 1230, 1 o'clock in the morning. And if I'm awake, I'll text them back. That's job. Yep. That's just being on. Those are my clients. That's my livelihood. You know, that's the difference. If you're working someplace, that client's just your job. That's what you do, right? That, But they're not yours. That's not your livelihood. And, and unfortunately, I wish more employees thought differently mm -hmm. because it really is. Where do you think their paychecks come from? Right. You know, I have to make money so I can pay people. If you don't produce, I can't pay you. So if you make money, I make money. And when I make money, you make money. It seems like a simple thing, but most employees don't think like that. They think, oh, that's well, the boss's money and nobody cares. Well, I care. And you're going to care when I can't afford to write your paycheck. Yeah. Like, you got to do your damn job. I think we have four producers in our unit. No, well, not five now. We just hired a new guy. But we have nine employees that we have to worry about. And they're worth, we pay them very, very well. And they're worth their weight in gold. But if we're not selling and we're not servicing and doing things appropriately they don't get paid right which in turn it means i don't get paid which right. sucks for everybody exactly yeah i like being a producer though yeah. you know i was thinking about that the other day i was i was actually thinking of some stuff and, and i finally got you know we talked about competencies the other day and i've kind of realized that my core competency is vision right i have the ability to look at things at a macro level and really organize. And that's why I specialize in management, organizational development. I'm a good visionary. But I've also came to terms with the fact that I'm a terrible doer, right? I, I like to be the idea guy. I know what needs to get done. I know how to put people in places and to create jobs and to do stuff and whatever. But I've came to terms that I'm more of an idea man, right? And so I was struggling with this this morning because I have a, a job at work that I need to really fill. and I, And it's something that really and technically I should be doing okay it's it's on my level of things where I feel like this is my level this is what I should be doing but unfortunately I don't know anything about it it would take me a really long time to learn it and a lot of effort and 
when I get there, I still have to realize that I'm not a very good doer, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not necessarily the person that I'd want to hire to do it. So I realized this morning, the thought I had is like, I'm a job creator. I shouldn't feel bad about this. I shouldn't feel bad about not being able to do the job or wanting to do the job. My job is to create the job, to create the business so that somebody can make money doing that job. So it, it transitions how you think. Well, there's ranks. There's ranks and everything. Like doing a boat charter down in Florida, you know, doing a boat fishing charter. You have a deckhand. The captain is good at captain, find the fish. The deckhand's good at taking the fish off of cleaning the fish. And right. hopefully you have someone that can actually talk the talk and talk to people and make sure they're having a good time and enhancing their whole experience, you know, as they're spending four or five hundred bucks for four hours. It's a, yeah. lot, it's a lot of jack for four hours time, you know, so you got to make right. sure you're giving a great product. But the captain can't do it all. And, mm -hmm. and if he does, he's going to run himself ragged and not give them the experience they one they're paying for and two you deserve. Right. But if you have a deckhand, and a good deckhand and a good captain can give you the best experience in four or five hours. All day. Well, my commitment this year, I think, and where I'm really settling is I'm really trying to come to terms with my core competencies. And I'd really think for the first time in my life, I, I've done a good job of making myself well-rounded, and I don't want to sell the idea that being well-rounded is a bad thing. But I will say that for the purposes of specialization, compliments, being well-rounded can be a detriment. Mm -hmm. Because there are things that you don't do good that you're going to put your energy into. You know, and think about that. If I'm if I'm the visionary, if I'm the idea guy, and I'm not a good doer, and let's say I take 30% of my energy and I put it in over here to be a better doer, the problem is now I'm only putting 70% of my energy into the thing that I'm really good at, and I'm deviating 30% of that energy into something that even if I got good at it, I'm not good at it. Yep. It's not my thing. And so I think that what I'm, I'm, I'm looking at doing this year is Really just starting to just delegate those areas that I'm shit at. Completely just get rid of them. Stop putting any effort at all in. Just zero. And invest that energy I, in what you're good at. And I'm going to 100 double down on everything that I do fucking well. And then I'm going to hire people to do the shit that I don't. Mm -hmm. And that is my focus this year. It's like I'm done treading water. That's solid strategy. You know, I know what I do well. And I need to put all of my effort into doing that. I because think, I'm wasting energy and time doing the shit that I'm not doing. I think anything outside my my normal career in the consulting, it's it's I've always had a side gig. I've always had a side hustle, whether it be two, three, or four side hustles. And this is the first time in my life that I haven't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've devoted all my energy into what I'm doing now, and it's it's paid itself tenfold. I mean, literally losing everything you could possibly think of, and and overnight. And then rebuilding from the bottom up. It's taken me four years, but oh my god, building a book of business as large as I have in that time frame is awesome. Right, it's very satisfying. So, can I tell your story a little bit? Absolutely. I'm not going to get into details. I no, won't give fine. company names yeah. or anything like that. So, Danny, me and Danny are friends in St. Louis, and um, I've always been involved with the business at some point, at some level. I think even back then, and so I've always been the entrepreneur. You were working at Boeing at the time, correct? And uh, then you get this job opportunity with the company, and they move you to Florida. You, you're you like over nine states. Mm -hmm. um, you're a, uh, what what was your job as an engineer? You were an engineering Sa something. Sales and application engineer. Sales and application engineer, right? And um, so you're working with like Disney World and like all these big companies, yeah. and, and you're you're killing it. And you, and you basically build a dream life 
I'm over here in Missouri, like hating Danny, like every day, right? Danny's living in Florida. He's got a half a million dollar home out in Florida. He's got a boat. He's got two incredibly nice cars. Uh, I'm going down to see him, and he's charting us to these fucking private islands. Like, life was good. It's great. Right? And then Danny wakes up one day and loses it all. Like, literally, in like, what, an hour? Yeah. Like, actually. Literally. Right? Out of the blue, nowhere, companies like, by the way, we're getting rid of this territory. No explanation, no nothing, no no derogative marks, nothing. Just one day you don't have a job. And you still have all these bills. Yep. And then you're forced to make a decision whether you're going to stay in Florida or you're going to come back home. Yep. Right? And so you end up coming back home. But pulled back. I was, thank God for my senior VP of my unit. You know, he is actually he's my cousin. Um, I called him seeing if he had any connections in Tampa where I was living at the time and his response was you're on the job market and I said yeah he goes well here's what's going to happen me and my dad and my brother are going to fly down tomorrow we're going to go fish in your boat for a few nights and we're going to talk well long story short that talk ended up him recruiting me to come back to Missouri and work for him right and now we're business partners mm-hmm. you know it's it's grown and developed into a very amazing opportunity I mean if depression was a thing that's what I had I mean if a very loyal individual. So when I lost my job, I felt like my girlfriend broke up with me. You know, yeah, and you put everything into that. Hundred percent. And I grew that territory. It was a one point four mil territory when I got it, and when I left, it was two point four million dollars in sales. Like I put a lot of work in that territory, and the way it all went down was just a kick in the nuts. It'd yeah. be one thing if I would have saw it coming or I had a reason or I was, you know, jacking off and not doing my job, but that wasn't the case. Yeah, and yeah, you were grinding it all was the time, ripped from underneath of me and. You don't just supplement right. that income on a high school diploma. Well, yeah, and you know, <laughs> and I remember right before you built that house, like you lived down there for a couple of years, you yep. were renting. You went to the company, you asked them, yep. like, hey, I just want to make sure everybody's happy, like everything's good. I'm getting ready to buy this house, this is a big commitment. And they said, yeah, man, you're good. Yep. I called two, you're good. I called two people today yeah. on the dotted line, my dad and my boss. One year later, one year almost to the day. Yeah. These fuckers show up and was like, by the way, we had a, a meeting and you're not in it. <laughs> right. That's a brilliant way to it. That's exactly right, man. Oh, my God. Dude, what? I was sick to my stomach. So, look, take this as a lesson to all you people out there that are listening. You know, companies have no loyalty to you. Your family does. Don't spend all your, your time making a career when you when those people aren't going to care about you at the end. You know, they're going to replace you. You're you're a job opening. You're a, you're a seat and a position and you shouldn't sacrifice your life for that position you know there are things that matter more in life than money and a job and and that's something to consider but back on track one of the reasons why i told this story because i wanted to kind of come back into this um this thing you said on the first podcast on podcast number five right and you were like confidence is my superpower Mm -hmm. right because this is like the moment in time where I realized like how big of a superpower that was for you. Because for those of you who don't know Danny, I've watched Danny fall on his face a few times. And, and I've fell on my face plenty. Anybody that out there that's entrepreneurial and you're a risk taker, failure is part of it. Absolutely. You're going to fail a hell of a lot more. Like if we were to take all of my L's and add them up. It's more than it wins. Way more. Way yeah. more. Like probably four times more. Like, I have so many losses, it's not even funny. But then I got some impressive wins, Yep. right? And so it kind of balances itself out. 
but you got to be a little bit of a risk taker. But when I watched Danny fall flat on his face, you know, I made a statement to him one day. I was like, you know, you're the only guy that I know that can be wearing a white suit and fall in a mud pit full of fucking tar and somehow you come out on the other side clean <laughs> as a whistle. I was like, and you know, and to watch you do it, because you just never doubt it. I watch you walk into these meetings. Like, you know, we went into meetings with like million dollar meetings. And I watch you walk into these meetings and, you know, I'm like fucking cold sweat and you're just fucking stone. Smooth as butter. And it's like, and he's like, what, how, what did you say to me? You go, I already made the sale before I got here. Yeah. That's why it's I'm done. not. I said, why aren't you worried? And he goes, because I already made the sale before I got here. That's exactly it. Man, that confidence, dude. And then you do it. And then you follow through. And that's the beauty of it, right? That's that's the... You manifest that that's, shit. That's the key. I mean, if you don't believe in what you're doing, why the fuck are you doing it? Mm-hmm. You know, if someone asks me I can do something, yeah, I can do that. And I'll make it fucking happen. And I've had to eat crow a few times, but I'll own it. Right. And 100% of the time when I've owned when I had to eat crow, they're like, hey, we respect that. And I'm not going to do it via tech. I'm going to go to your fucking business or your house, wherever the case may be. And I will straight up say, I fucked up. Yep. And I don't fuck up often. It doesn't happen, but I don't repeat it. Right. Learn from mistakes and grow from it. That's that's what it's... Yeah, they're lessons. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the... I, I don't remember who said this to me in my life, but it was a one of the most influential statements that was ever made to me. And it was made in my impressionable years, like in my probably late teens or early 20s. I was doing something, and it was a work-type environment. And... uh I said, somebody told me to do something, and I said, I'll try. And they stopped me, and they said, no, I didn't ask you to try. Do it. I told you to do it. Yep. And I went, oh, shit. Like, okay, like, trying isn't enough. Try's not an option. Trying not an option. I told you to do it. Do your fucking job. Do what I told you to do. And, man, that made an impact on me. Because then I stopped, like, you know, uh, um... This ties into a story that I actually tell uh, for the keynote speaking. I think it's mm-hmm. one you've heard. But, you know, many years ago, uh, probably around the 2012 to 14 time frame, we started, like, hanging out with a lot of really influential people. Like, yeah. we were making a conscious effort at that point in our life to surround ourselves with the type of people that we wanted to be. Correct. And so, at that time, I started getting a lot of friends that were doctors and lawyers and all of this shit. And immediately you start seeing the differences because it's the habits, right? It's the habits of these people that make them who they are, that make them successful. And one of the best stories that I have on that was a doctor friend of mine. He's an eye doctor. And I asked him one day, I said, you know, I'm looking at you. You're a doctor. You own your own practice. You're very successful. I think he had a few other things that he was doing as far as investing, like real estate and stuff like that. And I said, uh, what do you think, what would you attribute to what made you the person you are today? And, he, and I thought he was going to think on it. He didn't. I mean, it was so fast. He goes, oh, my dad. He goes, I can tell you the exact moment. <laughs> and I went, okay. And he goes, I think I was 11 or 12 years old. And he goes, I was going fishing with my dad. And we had the, the truck pulled up and over to the boat dock. And uh, he threw me to the keys of the truck. And he said, I want you to back the truck up. Because I'd never even driven a car, let alone backed up a trailer with a boat on it. My dad just throws me the keys and just said, go do it. And he goes, and so I'm sitting there and I'm stuck with this moment. Like, I don't want to disappoint my dad, but I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And he goes, so I just figured, fuck it, I'll try. And then I did. 
and then it worked and then I did it and he goes and I realized in that moment that like oh shit if I just try even if I don't know what I'm doing if I just go into it like I know what I'm doing I'll figure it out and that so he so he carried that over and so he goes so I got the idea when I was in high school that I was going to be a doctor and uh he goes I even got personalized plates on my cars future doctor he goes I, he goes, my parents would take me, because they all went to Mizzou, and he goes, my parents would take me when I was in high school up to Mizzou on trips and show me that they lived in dorms. And he goes, and I would point to them, and I'd tell them what dorm I was going to live in and where I was going to be and what I was going to do. And he's a doctor today. And I was like, man, you know, what an impactful statement. But it goes even further, because this conversation occurred around the time that I walked into his garage that day, and he had a car in his garage. You know I'm a car guy. Absolutely. I am not going to miss a new car. I may miss new furniture, new house. I may not realize that you moved to a new town, but I will 100% notice the new car that you put in the garage. Struggles of a gearhead. Okay. Struggles like, real. <laughs> so I walk in and there's this beautiful Camaro sitting in the corner of the garage. And I'm like, damn, nice car, man. And he goes, yeah. He goes, that was my first car. I said, no shit. He goes, yeah, that's the car I got when I turned 16. He goes, um, I knew the day that I got that car that I was going to give that to my kid is his first car. This kid was 13, so he started restoring it. And I stopped, and that was the moment that I realized that was a big epiphany moment for me about who I am as a person and why I'm not successful. Because when I looked at that situation, I thought, man, when I got my first car at 16 years old, the only thing that I thought was how quickly can I get rid of this thing to get something I want? How can I soup it up? What can I do to it? I can I? Tra- I mean, I think within like six months later, I was trying to trade it in for like a newer car. Like, I mean, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Like, that was where my head was at when I was 16. This guy, this doctor, this successful human, at 16 years old, he goes, nope, this was the car that I got when I turned 16. Now, I know one day I'm going to meet a woman. I know one day I'm going to have a child. I know one day I'm going to give this car to that child. Neither of those other two variables didn't even exist in that moment. Not when I was that age. Didn't even exist. And then he goes, I'm going to give it. And then has the follow-through to keep it. From He was like 46 at this time. From 16 years old to 46 years old, he kept that car through every stage of his life, through medical school, through a marriage, through traveling, through you name it. He kept that motherfucking thing in storage, pulls it out, and then rebuilds it for his fucking kid. That is why his name starts with doctor, (laughs) and mine starts with mister. Yeah. Okay? Because... That is the kind of people, it was what I realized at that moment in my life, is like, that's what makes these successful people tick. It's the habitual habits. And so when I just started like, oh, fuck, Velcro, right? Like, take it in, man. Like, pour that shit on me. And then when I started changing my habits, I became successful. You really are who you're around. It's so important, the people that you keep in your circle. There's that golden saying, fake it until you make it. Right. If you truly believe that you can do it you're not faking it well here's the thing you don't know what you don't know if i wouldn't have surrounded myself with ultra successful people i wouldn't have known that i didn't possess those traits i would have kept spinning my wheels because you're not educating yourself you know i'm not saying those people are good people i'm not even saying that i want to be those people i'm not even saying they're successful in a way that i want to be successful but what they all have in common is they're all successful Mm mm-hmm 
So what is it about them that makes them successful? Those are their habits. Habits and traits. Right? Habits and traits. The behaviors that they do on a regular basis. And that's what I went to learn. I wasn't looking at their business. I wasn't looking at their lives. I didn't care what cars they drove or how much money they had. So what are they doing different? What are they doing different than me? Why are they succeeding in life and I'm not? That's all I wanted to know. That's a hard thing, too, to define success because it's different. It's so subjective between individuals. I think success is just achieving what you want, what you set out to achieve. And then it can be defined by whatever people want. Your your definition of success is completely different than mine. Monetary. It's all money. Yeah. I it, see green every day. And mine is completely different than that, yeah. right? Even though I am very monetary-driven still. Yeah. You know, so I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle to where I... I value more of that work-life balance and with a moderate pursuit of monetary income where you're just like, fuck it, I'm going to be a millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. That whole life balancing is is a true thing. Because when I lived down south, I mean, I'd leave my house on Sunday night and I wouldn't get back until Thursday night. I'd bounce at the bar on Thursday, Friday, go to bed uh, Friday night, half dead on Saturday, wake up and do it all over again. You know, and I have two little girls... My wife's at home taking care of them for two of the years as a stay-at-home mom. The last year, she uh, when we bought the house, she agreed to get employed. She got employed by uh, Capital One. She made great money. And that kind of deviated a little bit of the financial burden that I had on myself. But that there was no home life. I was always gone. I miss a lot of shit, man. My girls when I moved to Florida were one, two and one. And we were there for four, a little over four years. And I missed a lot. And now yeah. that we're back here, that whole life balance, I get to see so much more now. Granted, yeah. these first three months of this year are going to be fucking chaotic, and I got work trips out the ass. But it's not, you know, it's not all week long, every single week. I mean, you know, I got a few days here, you know, a few days in the Ozarks. I go to D.C. I have to go to uh, Omaha. It's just, but they're only two, three day trips. They're not week long trips. Every single week, falls well, of the walls. So here's the real question: When are you gonna start taking me on a fucking trip? <laughs> like, when do I get to go to DC with Danny? Like, I mean, seriously, I'm, like on the company dime. I don't know if you want to go with me on that trip, bro. It's, but what, we're gonna go but, lobby with the politicians. But we need, we need to go find a trip though. If, like for real, I don't. Like, don't, why, don't why am I not on these trips? This is what I have to figure out. We need to go. We need to go bow fishing in Louisiana. Is it because is it because of smoke weed, Danny? No, it's because you got a little dick. Oh, uh, uh, fair. Well, you uh, know, shit happens. <laughs> See, we told you. We warned you at the beginning of the I'm podcast. I'm fucking half Asian. This Look, is what people, happens. it's it's a perfectly normal Asian uh, size. I, I wish promise. I was, I'm just black from the waist up. I can't. <laughs> totally white from the waist down. I am. I am like like some weird <laughs> German mix. Yeah. So, so I told you of, about that, right? What? I did the 23andMe thing. Okay. So it's funny you mentioned that. So the last few days, so as I'm prospecting and doing my thing for work, I have decided to go down my heritage. And my, both of my grandpas, my great, I'm sorry, my great grandpas are such a huge mystery. And one was he has Cherokee in him and he's from uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I have traced it all back to where his, I think his grandma, I think is where the Native American entered the bloodline, and I am trying to look them up and find them on the registry to see if they were registered back in the Trail of Tears and all that. I think it's the Dawes list or Dawson list, something like that. Fair. But it's, and my other grandpa, he's, he came east when everyone was going west, 
which to me tells me one, what are you running from or could you kill? <laughs> yeah. And you did something wrong. And there's there's links to him with the Jesse James game. Oh, nice. So, but I don't know. I don't know. Like the, finding some people that have no record of them is, dude, it's fucking difficult as shit. But my mom's yeah. side, like my grandma's and my great grandma's. I mean, I trace it all back to like fourteen sixty four. Oh, that's like the, awesome. Like the bloodline is pretty impressive. But I need to do the twenty three and Me or the Ancestry.com or whatever it is. I need to do that. So the twenty three and Me really fucked me up. So my family history is really simple. Um, three generations ago, my great grandfather uh, came over from the Philippines, and so my family is from Cebu, and uh, there's an islands that surround the Philippines, and so the they live in the Cebu territory, and they live on one of the islands just outside of Cebu, and then what it basically boils down to is their elders, right? So when you track our family history back, you can you only, can only go so far because then you get into the tribal history and there's no real records, right? You, right? you don't really know how to follow that. So we can follow it back to like figure out what tribe we come from, but we don't know like where. And then my mom was German and all this other stuff. And so I've lived most of my life thinking that I was probably 50 to 60% Asian, right? So I do the 23andMe. I'm like... 78% Irish. The rest of me is Scandinavian. Okay? With like a little bit of... And I'm apparently like 78% is like Dumbling. Right? The rest of me is Scandinavian. I've got like a trace amount of Indian in me. And I've only got 6.8% Asian in me. Hmm. So only 6.8% of me is Asian. And I was like, I've lived... I don't understand how that could be. That really kind of fucked me up. So now I'm thinking, like, wonder what kind of weird shit's in that family history. <laughs> like, because the rest of my family looks super Asian. Like, you see my dad. My dad's like five foot two, 140 pounds. Like, he Typical looks like, Asian. yeah, he looks like an Asian. And then most of the rest of my family are all like very dark complected and they all look Asian. And then you see me, I'm five eight. I'm four inches taller than everybody else in the family. You need to have a and conversation. And I weigh 200 pounds. With a mailman. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, I got this. We got a, my one cousin, Ronnie. He's like six foot tall, like 160 pounds, white as a ghost. The other four kids, all Hispanic as shit. Nobody says anything about that. Like, it's been around this family for 40 years. That's never been a conversation we've had. And I thought, shouldn't somebody kind of address the elephant in the room? <laughs> so it's weird how genetics work that way. If you take, so I'm the second born of my family, and I have two other cousins that are male and the second born. If you take our baby pictures, we all look completely identical. Yeah. And, and they've always made the joke that we have. Me and my brother and my nephew are that way. Yeah. I can't tell the difference in the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you, like, we, we always, when we're together, we all take a picture next to us because our lifespan, or like, I'm, you know, seven years older and then 15, 16 years older, but you can see the resemblances. It's so oddly weird and cool at the same time. Yeah. And they, you know, they just say it's that gene of the family and it's always second born. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like, it's weird how it all, all, all that works. I, I don't know. I'm not a biologist, and, and biology really confuses me. That Science was like, is fun. Man, you know, biology is one of those, uh, I understand it a little bit more in certain areas now because I've done so much research on, like, health and fitness and things like that. So when I say, like, I don't know biology, I guess it's probably facetious. Mm -hmm. In school, when I took it as a, you know, academically, 
I did terrible. I made like a D in high school, and I made an A in college, but, you know, that was like junior college, and like, you know, I really put a lot of effort into that. Mm -hmm. I was out of the military, so like, you know, I dressed that like an adult, but I wasn't good at it. It didn't come easy to me. And so I get really confused when it comes into like how all that family shit works. (laughs) I didn't, when I was a student in high school, I was a shithead. I was a C average student, maybe a little bit lower than that. But when I got into college in the in the time frame that I did, I always got straight A's. Dude, I was a slack off in high school. The only reason I got out of high school, that's how part of the reason why I ended up in the Army. My grades were so bad when I got out of high school. I had like a 2.5 GPA. And they were like, you could either graduate like next year or you could join the service. And I was like, Uncle Sam, here I come. Yeah, I was like, you know, the Army <laughs> don't look so, the Army don't look so bad. And, uh, so then I get out of the army, right? And then I decide I'm going to go to college. And so I remember my first day I, I, I get out of the army. I'm at Fort Riley. And so I decide that I'm going to go to Kansas state university. And, uh, so I go to K state my very first day on campus They, they take you down to the student union and you go to this auditorium and the Dean of the college was up there giving the speech to all these kids. So you got to realize, you know, there's a couple of, there's like 70, don't quote me on this, I, I think I'm right, I would I would have to look it up, but I think there's like 70,000 students at Kansas State University, so a freshman class is significant, right? These are, this is a fucking auditorium, I mean, we're in like, you know, a basketball arena kind of thing, and uh, he gets up there and he gives his speech, and he goes, whatever your GPA was when you were in high school... You should deduct one point from it. That will be your GPA. Oh, shit. At the end like, of your first I'm year <laughs> at Kansas State. And I was like, 2.5 minus, oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's the only reason I got in. And when I filled out the entrance paperwork to Kansas State University, this is a true story. So I walk in. I'm just back from Iraq. I got out of service. I separated. I joined the National Guard. And I walk on to K-State and... Um, I go in there to fill out the entrance paperwork, you know, and I'm sitting in the office, and this is back when we did everything with pen and paper, you know, so I'm sitting down and I'm filling out, and all of the pre-qualifiers for getting into Kansas State University, I could not meet, could not meet any of them. They were like, GPA, nope, and they were just going down the list, and in the one box, prior military, check, and then I got an acceptance letter. That's awesome. (laughs) And I was like, how the fuck did you let me in? They only let me in because I was in the service. That was it. That was the door. That was the open door. I got into Kansas State University because I went in the army. That was it. Shit. And if it wouldn't have been for that, I don't know where I'd have been. Weird how fate plays a factor like that, don't it? Sixteen years of college later, I've I mean, been in school since two thousand and fucking what three. I started 2003 was my four was my first term and I graduated with my MBA in 16 and then my doctorate I well I paused my doctorate in what 20 in 20 with around mm-hmm. COVID right yeah. so I've been in school from 2004 to 2020 continuous with only a short two-year break there when I got my enrolled agent's license. How's that VA bill treating you? Oh, my God. I don't even want, I don't even want to talk about fucking student loans. I'm so over fucking academics at this point. <laughs> and then I teach because that's, you know, because, you know, why not just go to college? At that time, I'm a professional student. 
I might as well be a professor. At some point, you become a professional student, and that's why they have you teach. Right. Because you understand academics better than anybody at that point. So in your whole journey, did you ever have that intuition where you knew what was going to happen before it happened? What do you mean? So when me and Meg went down to Florida, it, uh, it was the year before we left Missouri. We were down there for her cousin's wedding, and it was awkwardly cold. And I made a fire for the for the wedding party, and I was sitting there. I was kind of zoned out. And she walked over, and she's like, your wheels are spinning. What are you thinking? And I just had this gut feeling. It was like, I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know why, but we're going to live here one day. Six months later, I get headhunted for the other position, and we're in Florida. When you visited me, it was the last winter I was in Florida, and you even asked me, you know, like, what... How do you? How are you liking it down here? Do you think you'll ever come back to Missouri? And I said, I don't know when, I don't know why, I don't know how, but I don't think I'm going to be here very much longer. And it was yeah. that January that the fucking rug got pulled out beneath me. And it just, it's weird how, I don't know, I don't know if I'm just crazy lucky like that, or is it that come natural to other people, you know, that you have an intuition where you can kind of almost awkwardly see the future? If that, it doesn't make any fucking sense. I know it just... No, I know what you're saying. So it's interesting because my answer to that question is no and then yes. Okay. No, I've never experienced anything like that before where I could say I know this is going to happen. Like, now I've had some pretty cool... I've had some pretty cool relationship or relations in my life. I consider my life like a book. Mm-hmm. All right? And so, like, different parts of my life are, like, chapters. And... um so I've known when chapters have been ending, like when I've ended a specific chapter, like the, the day that I left Fort Riley, like when I left that one trip, and, and, and I should note to the audience that I haven't been back since, mm-hmm. right? The day that I left, I knew that day, like that was a chapter ending. And then the weirdest thing was when uh, I was, we had, for a short time, we bought that express tax franchise that we were trying to kick off and I was working up in Fenton. Uh, I don't know if you were around for that. I don't know. Yeah, no, that was right before you. You, I hadn't met you yet. And so, anyway, for a short time, we had bought this uh, exterior franchise, and uh, we had these three locations, and we were trying to build them. And so I was leaving this express tax office up in uh, Fenton, and I walked out to the car, and I was coming out to the car, and I turned around, and I looked at the building, and I looked at the car, and I just felt like a shift. And I went... A chapter just ended. Like a, a definitive, and that was the thought in my brain was a chapter just ended. And I went home, and I I I didn't do anything else. I go home. I walk through the door, and uh, my ex-wife at the time is sitting at the counter, and she looks at me and she goes, "We need to talk." And I was like, "Okay." And she goes, "I'm pregnant." I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, couldn't believe it. That was so. That was as close to anything like that that I've ever had. But to, to come back to your question to say yes, yeah, I'm living that right now, actually. Um, and it started eight months ago with the gym, right? You know, I told you then. Me and you were having conversations right around that time frame. I said, Danny, I said I, something big is getting ready to happen. Mm-hmm. I said I don't know what it is, but it's big, like life changing big. And I said, I'm looking out, I I see everything, all the pieces of the puzzle, nothing makes sense, I don't know where it's coming from, that's it. And then, right around that same time, 
we're um me and the kids are looking for a possible jujitsu school because I, I got this wild hair up my ass at 41 that I was like you know getting a black belt in jujitsu seemed to be like what I wanted to do today and uh so we started scouting out schools well on my way to Farmington when I go to my, my south office I always drive by this karate school in this building down there which yeah, I never thought anything of and the sign said jujitsu you know, and, and you know as much as I do, all the McDojos, <laughs> and I was like, I ain't fucking calling these people, right? Fake posers well, out there. It, and for whatever reason, completely against my character, I decide one day as I'm driving by there, you know how to just fucking call that place. They're 10 minutes away from the house. It might as well just check it out. And so I call, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're 10th Planet Crystal City. And I was like, 10th what? And he goes, 10th Planet, do you know what that is? And I was like, yeah. Any problem? And then what? he goes, <laughs> and then he's like, and I was like, okay. I was like, well, shit. And I'm thinking, well, maybe this guy's like a purple belt or something, you know? And he goes, no, I'm a black belt. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, under Casey Alston out of Las Vegas. And I was like, you're from 10th Planet Vegas? Holy shit. Like, That's a dude, impressive resume. You're, you're a fucking black. Yeah, and oh, by the way, you're a professional PGF. You're a professional grappler. Like, you know, like, the dude's so legit. So legit. And I called you. I was like, what the yeah. fuck, right? So we join. So chance phone call that I would have never have made. We join the gym. And then I get there, and then the guy's like, oh, by the way, we're going to be adding striking. Well, okay. About my background at that point, you know as well as I do. The audience knows a little bit about my background. But I'm a 15-year Muay Thai artist under Ron Smith. Like, I got a pedigree when it comes to striking. And there was no way I was going to let my kids learn from someone that I wasn't going to be okay with, right. right? So I'm like, okay, look, I'm interested, but I want to, like, know who you're bringing in, you know? And so he tells me the guy that he's thinking about, and I was like, oh, okay. He's not bad. I think he's a good guy, but he's not really somebody that I want training my kids. Different style. It's not compatible, right? And, he, and I said, I'll just drop the buzz with you. I was like, you know, I kind of know a little bit about stand-up. It's like, you know, I, I had a school, you know. I told him about the Farmington school and I had traditions. Mm -hmm. I said, I operated a school down in Farmington for three years. And uh, I told him my, my lineage and my pedigree and all this other stuff. And and then he goes, um, he goes, oh, right, well, check it out, you know. And uh, I go in there. We do our first class together. I give him a private lesson. And by the end of it, he's, like, blown away. And so then I'm on the phone with you, and I'm like, so, by the way, apparently Traditions Muay Thai is a thing again. <laughs> and you're like, Get what? my shirt back on. You're like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, this just happened. You know, completely out of the blue. I had no intentions of opening this company. I had no intentions of doing Muay Thai again. I was pretty much hung up my gloves. Like, Muay Thai wasn't even something I was training personally at the time. Mm -mm. I was just doing weightlifting you went and rock climbing. Of a black belt for jujitsu, not to teach more. Exactly. I, I went back to do jujitsu, and so I get roped into this Muay Thai thing, and it was like boom, and then and it just, then it just all kind of paused, and everything just kind of still went on pause. So I still felt like okay, something big is coming, but everything just kind of paused, and it stayed that way for about the last six months, and then right around the time we took our trip out west. And I started having conversations with you again about then. I said, dude, I don't know what's going on, but something big, right? I had that huge paradigm shift. I, I talked about it on that podcast where I feel like I've been born again. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I started a new life. Like that same type of shift that I had 
in that parking lot is the same type of shift that I'm experiencing now. But what's different is I have an awareness about me now that I know, no doubt, I know something big is coming. I know something big is getting ready to pop off. I don't know where it's coming from, but dude, I will put everything on it. I know it's so strong. So me being who I am, my only advice is enjoy the fucking ride, bro. Right. Like, seriously, there's nothing you can do but enjoy the ride. When my opportunity opened up to come back up here, I didn't enjoy the ride until year, almost year two. Right. I was still stuck in my my mental slum of losing, you know, losing everything and starting over. If I had the mentality I have today, back then, not only would I be that that whole two year time, I was just a basket yeah. case. I was I was a wreck. Well, that's what I, I told Michelle and I, th- I told Eric too and and Sam. I said I have no idea why, but I know 2023 is my year. 2023 is my year. This is the year that shit's gonna pop off for me. I know that. I'm excited for it. And I know that by the end of this year, I am not going to be living the same life that I'm living right now. I, it's going to be that kind of change. Mm-hmm. My life is getting to, getting ready to exponentially change in a way that I cannot picture, but I am certain of it. Certain of it. And, I'm, and I'll even take it further than that because maybe I do get a little bit crazy. I am so certain of it, I have a time frame on it. It's going to happen in April. April of 23. I know when it's going to happen. I have no clue what it is. So I guess Podcast Nation, if you're listening. And Podcast 47. Shit doesn't doesn't kick off in fucking (laughs) April. We'll see if I'm right. But man, I'll tell you what. My conviction is unwavering. We should take this time and pull a Facebook and put a commercial in the middle of the podcast for our first sponsor. Fair. We We need sponsors, by the way, people. Look. We want to bring you the best content we can possibly bring you, and that involves equipment and things that we currently do not have. We would love to find somebody out there that would like to sponsor our podcast and join with us and partner with us. If you enjoy our views and our values, you know, we have a lot of fun on this podcast, but hopefully we also bring some good content. That's the goal, right? Hopefully, if you're listening out there, as much as you like to laugh at us, hopefully we're giving you some things that will add some value to your life or at least give you something to think about, right? That's the that's the only thing we could ever hope for is that our words give you thought. And as long as you have thought, you have potential for growth, right? You could agree with us, disagree with us. It doesn't matter. As long as you hear what we have to say, and you at least ponder it because that's the respect that I think you should give everybody, right? When somebody talks to me, I listen. I want to hear what they have to say so that I can explore that thought. Whether I agree with them in the end or not is immaterial. I at least need to understand where they're coming from and consider that they might possibly have a different perspective or something that could potentially be right. Tyler. Right. Oh, I see that all the time, man. It's amazing how much people come up with ideas, and it's always something I hadn't previously considered, and it seems so simple. Like, you know, I had that situation the other day. Um, where uh, I was buying some stuff off Facebook and I couldn't verify the identity of who I was buying for and they wanted an upfront payment. And it was business to business, but it was sketch. Like, you know, and um, I'm, I'm sitting at lunch with one of my clients, uh, a tattoo artist friend of mine uh, that owns a studio up in Barnhart. Uh, give a shout out to that studio, by the way. Anybody that's interested in getting a tattoo, you should talk to Anthony Ferguson at Malevolent Art. 
He is in Barnhart, Missouri. He is a great guy. Super talented. Um, super, super talented, super talented tattoo artist. Uh, and uh, most of the people that work at his shop with him are talented artists as well. So you should really let him tattoo other areas around. Not so close to your dick, so I don't feel awkward when I look at him. He never did that. He did the chest tattoo. Oh, I thought he did the other one. Yeah, he, no, no. That would, that other one, That was that's a long story. That's not for the viewing audience at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, yeah. So the chest one is the one that he did. The Polynesian that I have yep. on my chest. Oh, my God, it's such an amazing tattoo. I get compliments on that all the time. And the line work and the stuff that he did is fantastic. It came out really nice. Anyway, I'm at lunch with him, and he it's so funny. He goes, why don't you, he goes, anybody can screenshot or link a business. He goes, why don't you call them? And I was like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> I was like, how stupid am I? Like, okay, yeah. So I pick up the phone, and I call them, and they're like, hey, we're temporarily shut down. We're moving locations. And I leave my message, and then while we're having lunch, the the business calls me back, and I'm like, hey, are you the guy on Facebook? Oh, yeah, it's us. Like, immediately, problem solved. Here's your money. I drive up the next day. I pick the stuff up. It's done. And, um, but I was like, that, if he, if I wouldn't have been having lunch with him at that moment in time, that would have never happened. It took his idea in that moment, just something that I didn't previously consider, and I had to hear it. If I would have been so focused on what I was doing, I would have never listened. You know? It took it took both him being there, it took him saying it, and me listening for that moment to occur. Almost like it was meant to happen. Like it was meant to be. Oh, man, I believe in that, dude. I am completely full circle on that bitch. I have too much stuff going on in my life right now. I, I have so much weird, universal, level... Uh, things in my life that I literally sit down the other day with a pen and a paper and I had to do an organizational flow chart, a mapping chart, um, just a you know production mapping chart, mm-hmm. just so that I could start to understand how all these things are going together. So, and they're all things that like with one thing, the other wouldn't matter. And they, but they're both there. And then a lot of them, it took years of preparation to be there and then it's like here's this piece and here's that piece and here's this piece how is this working together why is this being put in my my space right now these things yeah it's not happenstance everyone says success is luck no that's just hard work paying off yeah. that's well, all that is well, well think about it like this so, so so think about i'm trying to become more aware you want part of manifestation part of a lot of this stuff is being more aware of opportunities I truthfully believe that opportunities are present, universal level intervention opportunities are present for most people all throughout their daily lives. We just don't notice them, right? It's the chance meeting in a parking lot that changes the course of your life. And so people are getting these chance meetings and they're making decisions they're not going for it. And so we're down at the gym the other day and we're discussing putting up heavy bags and some other stuff at the gym. And they decide that they're out one bag. Right. And so the same person, Anthony, sit, I guess, overheard this conversation. And so out of the blue, he sends me a link to buy some heavy bags off Facebook from a business that was going out. And I was like, oh, dude, that's great. And so I messaged the company and they said they're no longer available. And I was like, shit, that was the price I wanted to pay. Like everything was good. So I just did a random Facebook search looking for punching bags. Right. And then, um, as I'm going through my search, I find like four or six locally 
that would have worked. They weren't really what I wanted, but for what we needed, they were in the price range. Like I could have, I could have done it. It wouldn't have been a problem. And then as I went further outside of the search area, there was this gym in Chicago that was selling all of their equipment. And obviously I seen it, I thought, okay, this is a great deal. You know, I, I told Eric when we started the Muay Thai program that our best bet would be at that time, talk about manifesting. I said, we just need to wait for a gym to be going out of business and, or changing locations or whatever. And then we can just buy their old equipment and then we can get good quality equipment at a quarter of the cost and we can get started. When I made that statement, I was thinking it would be the typical entry level, like ringside bags, you know, they would be lower end equipment, things like that. I had a dream list of equipment and I went through my dream list with Eric and I said, if I could do anything, I want custom made Outslayer uh, Muay Thai bags. So Outslayer is the premium company for Muay Thai bags. They come with lifetime warranties. You can get them custom made. They will put your gym logos on them. You can get them any color combination under the sun. They will build them to the links that you need. Like in my old house, I only needed 70, or I didn't have room for a 72 inch bag. So they custom made a bag for the fucking size, like 67 inches. So it met, like they are the premium company, right? This guy on Facebook had six of these bags for sale, all custom made, all 535 series, which is their highest end, the lifetime bags, right? Lifetime warranty. Is that warranty transfer? No, it doesn't, but... I did get a limited warranty from the company because I talked to them about it because the bags are three years old. And uh, But I anyway, I messaged the guy about this and I told him, I said, this is what I wanted. And then on my other dream list was when we went to the Sanjay seminar, the first time I got to see one, they had the 300-pound, 7-foot-tall Fairtex bag. Never even got to see one of these things in real life. These are $1,000 bags, right? Um, the bags aren't that expensive, but by the time you fill them and, and it's it's a process like eight nine hundred dollars and um, They had one at the Sanchai seminar and I was like, oh my god I took a photo of it and I sent it to Michelle and I was like, oh my god I was like, how am I gonna drag this bitch home? You know, like I wanted to steal it right then and there well when I got on the phone with the guy from Anthony's interaction, right? I get on the phone with the guy, I talk to him about the six Outslayer bags, and he goes, I got two other bags for sale too if you want them. And I said, oh, what do you got? He goes, I got a Fairtex bowling pin bag. And I was like, okay. And then he goes, and I got a 300-pound Fairtex 7-foot pole bag. Oh, okay. And I was like, well, you know, we're really tight on budget now. Mind you, all of this started with a $120 budget, right? Now I'm looking at buying like an entire gym's worth of equipment. And so this escalates quickly. So I'm already in the several hundred dollar range. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, okay, now I know I'm talking about at least the the, the bowling pin bags are $300 new. Uh, that bag's eight dollars $900. And I'm talking about at least $1,200 worth of heavy bags. And so I'm like, okay, how much? And he goes, I'll do them for another two seventy-five. Done. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was like, sold. Shut up and take my money. Shut up and take my money. <laughs> so each one of these Outslayer bags are about $500. I bought all, all six of these bags, those two other bags, for $1,000. Didn't just... Now, talk about manifestation. I manifested a gym to be relocating or selling old equipment. Check. I manifested what I wanted. 
because I made that dream list all the way. I made that dream list so much. I actually have it on an Excel sheet over here written out with numbers. I priced everything out and knew exactly what I was going to buy. The only thing that was different is the bowling pin bag. I wanted a teardrop bag. Coincidentally, Sam had already committed to purchasing a teardrop bag for the gym. So the bowling pin bag is actually a level up from that. You have a body snatcher bag, a teardrop bag, and a bowling pin bag. The bowling pin bag is the best training bag in that style of specialty bag that you can buy. So it's already upgraded from that. So it was even better than what was on my list. And so I'm sitting here with this realization of like universal intervention. Like if I would have bought this brand new with my own money, this is exactly what I would have bought. Mm -hmm. I didn't sacrifice at all. I got exactly what I was asking for at a price that I couldn't have bought the cheapest of equipment for. Like if I would have went online and just bought the cheapest shit on the market, stuff that wasn't even commercial grade, I couldn't have bought all of this equipment for that much money. I paid next to nothing for the best equipment on the market. I've only been in two gyms in my whole life that have had outslayer bags. Two. It's like going to a strip club and getting a lap dance, but you get hookers and cocaine in the process. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. And so, I mean, you know, when you have things like that, you have to look at them and go, okay, there's coincidence, and then there's shit like that that's undeniable. That didn't just happen. That was meant to happen. Someone's driving the machine. But it's all in line with everything else. What's going on in my world? Something's big's happening. We were asked to buy one bag. Why did we just buy eight? Something big is happening. We're being prepared. I was being prepared for that moment, then I was given the opportunity to take it. And if I wasn't aware of that, if I wasn't looking for that, I wouldn't have done it. But I went into it, no questions asked. I went straight up there the following morning, drove 10 hours straight, got all that shit, wrote a check, said thank you. And now not only do we got top quality equipment, we also have a great camaraderie with a gym in Chicago that is a fantastic Gracie BJJ gym with a great Muay Thai program. And, oh, by the way, we're going to be able to start working some training back and forth. They're already talking about seminars. Like, we just hooked our entire line from St. Louis to Chicago. And, oh, by the way, he's a, he's a, he already works with Rodrigo Vaghi because he comes with Rodrigo's, who Rodrigo is one of St. Louis's famous. Like, Rodrigo's fantastic. I already know if he's associated with Rodrigo, he's quality. So we got not just linked with a gym, but a gym in the same caliber of quality that the services that we're offering. Our level of gym in Chicago. Like, this shit doesn't just happen. This is being orchestrated. That's why I don't think I have any worry. I don't have to do anything. I just need to be aware, and I need to take action when I need to take action. That's it. The rest of the time, I just sit back and say, hey, universe, brain it. I'm ready. Jesus, take the wheel. Take the wheel, man. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> like, I know where we're going, you know, or I, in this case, I actually have no clue where we're going, but I'm ready for wherever we're going. That's what's important. That's all that matters. That's it. Whatever this road takes, I'm ready. I did my work. It's an in or out situation. Right. So, man, I believe in fate 100%. You know, I think that the, the particulars that you get into, like, what your spiritual beliefs are, 
can differ between person. You know, we talked about that, right? Yeah. The, the the problem is, is everybody could be right. <laughs> there, Whoa. anything that you can think of is a real possibility, right? I think about that. I told that to my son the other day. I said, think about it like this: the entire world that we live in is so absolutely ridiculous that if you said it in any other way, you would think it was preposterous. Right? If I told you there was an organism out there that could turn light into food, and if you didn't know that existed because of science, you would think I was lying or making it up. It might as well have told you a fairy tale. I said, but the problem is, is that's a truth, whether you know it or not. Before people knew that plants turned light into food through photosynthesis, it was still happening. It was still a truth. Our knowledge of it did not make it true. Mm -hmm. This is the fallacy of science. They will, if we don't know it, well, you dumbass. If you don't know it, doesn't make it not true. Right. It's true. Just it, the only thing that you did by knowing it is learning that it was true. You, that's all you're doing is you're just discovering what's already there. You're not telling me anything about anything you don't know, right? So everything is constrived in that box. And so I said, when you think about it like that, so take that and go to reincarnation or anything. Is light turning into food? any more unbelievable than our if we have a soul that we have a material energy that somehow stays intact and transfers from one one carrier being to another carrier being that really isn't an abstract thought we think it's an abstract thought because we, we put it in this box of things but it's not it could very well be likely could there be Jesus? 100% could there be Buddha? 100% all of this has an equal likelihood of being real. All I know is what I choose to believe or what has been proven to me or what things that I that are tactile in my life. The only thing that I can verify is my own experience. You know, that's it. So to me, this is real. To someone else, it may not be. But that's fine. I'm not responsible for their experience. I think we should all be able to believe whatever we want to believe. I don't. I just pull the cards is when you force it on someone else. Dude, I hate that. Yeah, I don't. You, you lose know, me. You lose me at that point. Don't I, don't tell me I'm sinning because I'm not sinning. There's to you, I'm sinning. There's a dude that travels yeah. between Festus and Farmington, and he sits at stoplights, wears a suit, clean cut guy, and mm -hmm. he holds sign up screaming that we're all going to hell. And, and my yeah. poor eight year old's like, Daddy, what what is he talking about? I'm like, oh, baby, he just doesn't like the party. Apparently, like I don't know what to tell her. Yeah. It's like, how do you have that conversation with an eight-year-old that you have an extremist that's trying to push their own? I mean, if you want to believe, if you want to believe something, if you want to believe that I'm going to hell because of the way that I live my life, if you're a Christian, then that's fine. I'm perfectly okay with that. I, it does not bother me at all that you think that I'm going to burn in hell for eternity. That's fine because I don't believe in that, so that has no weight on me. Right. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me. I, that's great. I will allow you to believe that. But you should then allow me to believe whatever I believe. If I believe that what you're saying is not true and that it doesn't matter to me, then you should accept that. When you start to push beyond that, when you start to create laws based on your religious beliefs, that's when it's wrong. Right. Because that is an individual experience. It's perception. It's not morals. Right. That is perception. You can't prove it. I can't prove all of that story that I just told you. That's anecdotal. That's not scientific proof. It's anecdotal. My my findings from that are mine. But that's all I have to believe. But I also believe that we can manifest stuff too. I don't know why this triggered this thought. 
with the the kick shield and the baseball bat. Isn't that the coolest shit Dude. ever? So, for the audience, obviously when you train with certain groups of people, you always get ideas. You want to try certain things on each other and see what works and what doesn't work. So me and Anthony are training, and he's like, hold this kick shield. So I'm holding it, and he walks out with this baseball bat. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> if you remember, like, the scene of, like, Home Alone when Harry's getting ready to hit the spider on Marv, and Marv's like, what are you doing, Harry? He's like, don't move. Like, this is exactly what that was. And he just swings his bat as hard as he possibly can and smokes a kick shield. And I laughed. Because I couldn't feel it. And then you go and throw a Muay, a Muay Thai kick, and that rocks me, knocks me down, bruises me, whatever the case may be. And that bat is dick. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the big thing, you know? Because when you when you train Muay Thai, everybody always talks about, like, getting hit with leg kicks is like getting hit with a baseball bat. So much worse. And so, you and you always you always think about people grabbing objects and fighting, or at least I do. You know, I, I always constantly put myself in these fighting scenarios, and I try to think through them. Like, what would I do if somebody attacked me with a bat or a knife or whatever? You know, and I think, you know, what what is the likelihood of this? Or you know, but so part of my curiosity with this bat thought was, you know, what happens if I get hit with a bat? Like, I I at some point I have to battle test shit. Like, mm-hmm. I got to figure out like what does getting hit with a baseball bat feel like, and can I do this safely? I don't want to get injured, right? But I need to have an experience because that's going to determine, like, I tell people with sparring all the time. Everybody thinks they're so good at sparring. I said, no, wait until you get hit. Wait until you get punched in the face. Wait until you get hit. Like, you know, I can go out there and slap box with you, and that's one thing. But in a real fight, you eat three, four, five of those fucking punches or kicks. Dude, that whole game plan just went out the window. You can't can't get hit like that. Yeah, you can't get hit like that. When When I got hit one time... We were sparring at uh, Hans back in the day, and remember that big pro boxer, that black guy. I yeah. forgot his name. Yeah, I know you're he was like six two, six four. What was he like? Two twenty? Yeah. He was a monster, and I'm out there boxing with him, and I had no business to be boxing with him. I was not at his level, and that dude hit me with a body shot, and I thought something ruptured. Like I, it hit me. Everything inside felt like it exploded. I had a sharp pain in the shock wave. I have never felt fear like that. You at that moment, I had one game plan: don't get hit again. <laughs> I ran straight defense. <laughs> I ran like a motherfucker the rest of that round, you big dude. Bastardly <laughs> it was like, dude, it no. was like, don't touch me, because that put the fear of God in me. That's the first time I ever got hit so hard that somebody, like, felt like somebody could actually really hurt you. Like, getting hit and knocked out is one thing. Getting hit and, like, oh, that hurt is one thing. Getting hit and, like, oh, did my liver just rupture? That's scary. Yeah. That frightened me. I got scared, like, for my life. <laughs> and I ran like a bitch. <laughs> I get it. Quickly. Quickly. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been hit many times since then like that. But that was the first. And if that would have happened in a fight, if I would have got hit like that on the street and that dude was intending to kill me, oh my god, the panic and the fear. So I'm thinking, when I'm thinking of like baseball bat, I'm thinking like, I got to kind of figure out like what this is going to feel like. Because I, I need to know how I'm going to react, right? Is getting this bat going to be like an oh shit? Or is it going to be like a holy fucking shit? We got to get the bat, you know? And so I pulled that bat out. Yeah, and you're right, man. That bat ain't shit. I mean, getting hit with a base, it takes so long to swing the damn it, thing. It changed my entire mentality of an object in someone's hand. 
Dude. Crowbar, rebar, baseball bat, golf yeah. club, what the fuck ever. Let's go. Dude, a, a properly thrown fist or a properly thrown kick. Because you got to think, a baseball bat weighs what? A pound? I don't know how many pounds. What ounces? Are there 30 ounces yeah, or some shit? It's not a lot, right? Ounces, they come in like inches, 34 inches, like yeah. 28 ounces or something. But you're talking about a, 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 a very light object. And it's swinging and accelerating very fast. It's hard. The only real advantage that it has is that it's hard. Right. Or you take a crowbar that weighs like 20 pounds. Now, that's going to be a lot worse. Mm-hmm. That's a very it's hard... Got momentum behind and it. it's got momentum, but it's going to be swinging slower because of the weight. Right. Right? But you take a leg kick where you have a bone of a shin that has been properly conditioned to take impact like that, bone-on-bone impact. And then you take somebody that weighs 180, 190 pounds, and you twist them at all the speed that they're throwing that baseball bat. But, oh, by the way, now you've got a 30-pound leg and a 180-pound body twisting in momentum and landing. That is audience. That is probably four or five times harder than the impact of a baseball bat. You will get wrecked. You will get fucking wrecked. When you're watching those people on TV take those kicks, one... If it's mixed martial arts, very seldom are those kicks thrown correctly. Two, if you're watching a TIE fight or something like that, these guys are super conditioned athletes. They've been eating these kicks and learning how to dissipate energy from these kicks. There's footwork and movement and defense. Look, if these guys were kicking people just like off the street, they would not be eating 10 of these kicks. They would be eating one and they would be dead. You know, I mean, you look at that last fight on a one FC with, um, oh shit, I just spaced on the the name, the British guy, and he fought the tie, and uh, the British guy was famous for his tie kicks, okay, because he was like one of the best kickers in K one, but he throws that soccer style, real fast upward in tie kick. Well, the guy that he was fighting, I think he was more like Southern Thailand style, mm-hmm. and he threw hip overlay kicks. Well, they come out. And uh, I wish Ethan was here. He could t- Ethan's so big on the fighters. He knows all their names. I watch the fights, but I don't pay attention to the names. And this other guy comes out, and he throws these leg kicks. And, dude, he only lands like three or four leg kicks. I think he broke the guy's leg on the first or second kick. And then by the third kick, the dude, he, he kicked the guy. The guy turned sideways, fell on the ground. Now, think about this. World famous, top of the food chain, professional TIE fighter versus world-famous, top-of-the-food-team, professional TIE fighter. And this dude kicked him so fucking hard that he broke his goddamn leg in a kick. Could you imagine what that... I mean, I got kicked by Jermaine once. Me too. It took three days to get over that. Could you imagine what it would be like? And that wasn't even a kick. Oh, my fucking God. Jermaine is so fucking scary, dude. That is a scary human. And I can't imagine... And these guys are to Jermaine what Jermaine is to me. Like, I can't imagine. And anyone out there who wonders who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jermaine Andre. Jermaine Andre is a Ron Smith's premier student. He did mixed martial arts back in the day. Uh, he OG was a world, UFC. OG UFC. World champion. Bad to the bone human. And he still trains. Um, and he has a school up in St. Charles. Fantastic guy. Highly recommend him. But man alive, is he one of the... He he's like a a robot man. He's like John Claude Van Damme in his he, prime. He it really doesn't, is. He doesn't age. He is in his martial arts skill and his technique is just top notch. And you know he's fun 
because he goes down, and I, I pick at him sometimes because he goes down that uh, like kung fu rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. Because he's super into like the kung fu and all. But look, underneath all that, and, and when he does it, I have a ton of respect for it because he does everything so traditional. Mm -hmm. His Muay Thai is impeccable. His Sambo is impeccable. His Jiu Jitsu is impeccable. His catch is impeccable. Like, Jermaine does everything at master level. He is a master. The modern definition of master, there's Ron Smith and there's Jermaine Andre, right? That's why they're in the martial arts. In, in, in my world, those are the two people that I know that are, those guys are masters. Mm -hmm. I am not a master. I am not at that level, and I'm not going to put myself at that level. I'm very good at what I do, but I am not on that level, right? And Jermaine is just fantastic. And, yeah, man, when, when you grab a certain human like him and he touches you, it's a, bad day. It's a whole different type of touch. Bad day. Oh, man, when his leg hit, and it's like his body is like fucking concrete. Dude, his bicep has a bicep. Like literally, <laughs> got a, a golf ball. On top Dude, of doesn't spice he look like a like a cartoon character? Like he's so freakishly he's physical, big, physical specimen. Yeah, he's he's amazing. He's but, got his shit figured out. But you know, but that's what I mean. You take a guy like that. You take a guy like that locally, and these are the two guys that were fighting, and somebody kicked him and broke his leg. Thank you. Could you imagine? Could you? I can't fucking, dude, talk, that'd be like getting hit by a fucking car, dude. So, obviously, we can't advise for you and your buddies to hold a kick shield and get hit with a bat. It's not smart. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Don't we did not tell do you to it. do that, for sure. But, check tape. And come uh, back and comment on how right we are. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Just saying. It's, it's a worthwhile experiment. But, man, has it been an hour and 20 minutes already? Yes, sir. Man. That's been it. Kind of hit them with some stuff. We stayed pretty clean, though. We did. I'm actually really proud of us. Yeah, truthfully. Like, for us, this is actually... PG. Very PG. That's all right. There will be a lot more of this, There'll I think. There will be more. It was good to get you talking. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you what, guys. We enjoy doing this. Hopefully, you guys enjoy listening to us. We should be back to a full pub table, I think, uh, next Friday. I will be. Oh, well, maybe it'll just be the three motherfuckers then again. The OGs. That's right. The OGs. We'll just scroll go down. Hawaii. I'm sorry. I You're just... going to Hawaii? Yeah. Yeah, fuck you. I, I, I Seriously. Accept I accept that. I hate you so much <laughs> in every way. I, I'll allow it. Yeah, you're going to send me pics from Hawaii too, aren't you? All the dick pics. Oh, I hate you. Yeah, fuck you. Whatever. <laughs> All right, so we need a sponsor to get me to Hawaii. Let's talk about that. All right. All jokes aside, thank you guys for joining us for another podcast. I appreciate all of you. Make sure that you comment. We need to hear some feedback. We'd like to know what you like, what you don't like. You can add to the conversation. We'll chat with you in the comments 100%. We appreciate everyone out there. We'll be back to you next Friday. Stone Apes out.